0: Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is Kordu.
1: These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise.
0: So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, be me up. Resistance is futile long and prosperous. We'll Only go where no man has gone before. Greetings and welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis veteran curmudgeon and co-host of star trek talk through media podcast from just down the road a bit in north carolina it's Lawrence Dodd, yeah. <laughs> how are you sir hello i'm just <laughs> i'm just excited to be here man oh man it's because this has been in the works for a while you were one of i think you were one of the first people i tried to reach out to yep. uh but you're involved with uh I mean, let's dig right in. You're actually involved with a Star Trek or fandom-based network. Is that right? Give us the
1: details. Yep. Um, I've started uh, podcasting with Talk Through Media, which right now Talk Through has a Walking Dead podcast for the Walking Dead universe, which I am a co-host of. Nice. Uh, we're covering all the Star Treks, yo. Uh, doing Very Very we, we, have, we have a crew doing prodigy we've done lower decks um brian and ruthie two of our other hosts are covering discovery now as we speak and they'll be shifting gears into picard and i expect that we'll be doing strange new worlds when it shows up nice nice and of course for me being the section 31 type i'm looking forward to one day having my section 31 show fingers crossed i'm looking forward to that too <laughs> so um uh, We cover quite a bit. Uh, There are four of us currently, well, six, excuse me, because we have, uh, Kim and James are doing the Rebinge DS9 podcast. So they're watching the entire series of DS9 from start to finish. Nice. And that's, current. I think they're currently in season three now. Uh, They're also doing the Prodigy uh, podcast. So if it's
0: Star Trek or Walking Dead, we're covering it. Man, that's awesome. Now you personally, uh, you know, I don't, (laughs) you don't have to reveal your age, but what is your background with, uh, with star Trek personally? Well, well, I'm sort of glad you asked. Um, (laughs) I probably should have asked it a different way.
1: (laughs) Well, I tried, I tried to be cagey about it, but I would admit that I'm old. (laughs) Uh, like we had joked before I was born, after the cage was shot and before, uh, where no man has gone before. So I didn't get to see TOS as I remember from the very beginning, but I did see the animated series when it first aired and I've seen everything else first air from there.
0: That's awesome. That's really great.
1: There was a, there was a local syndicated show on Sunday afternoon that would show star Trek and Rat patrol and several of the early syndicated shows. And so I would fight my sister because she wanted to watch football and I wanted to watch star Trek. Wow. That's
0: awesome. (laughs) It sounds like fun way to grow up honestly.
1: Well, and that was the thing. My dad was, you know, he was in the air force during the Korean war and he was, he worked in a technology industry. Mm -hmm. And so dad was always very supportive of you know, my endeavors as a kid. So I flew model airplanes and model rockets and got into electronics nice. and dad is, was one of those guys who really was a, a Jack of all trades and, uh, he could do just to, you know, when you think your dad can do everything, it's funky when your dad really can do everything. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, growing up, we had, and again, dating myself, but for some of your older folks, and for your younger folks, use the Google machine, to look it up. There was a thing called Heath kits where you could build your own home stereo and your own television. And
0: oh, wow.
1: So, you know, dad was a tinkerer and dad did mechanical things. So, you know, it, it came naturally for me that I had a lot of the same inclinations, but yeah, that's cool. you know, big, big sci-fi guy. Of course, at my age, I was in the prime 12 to 13 year old Zone when Star Wars came out. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, loved Battlestar Galactica and Star
0: Wars and Star Trek. And, nice. Uh, well, stay tuned to this show because I don't know if you've heard me mention it on any other episodes, but part of what we're doing with our journey through the entire franchise is also looking at. What I call Star Trek adjacent properties. So we've oh, already yeah. we've already covered the first episode of Firefly. Uh, Battlestar Galactica is coming up soon, and uh, we're going to be hitting Star Wars, of course, and 2001: uh, A Space Odyssey. There's a whole bunch of them out there. Oh we're, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna examine a whole bunch of them and see how those properties were influenced by Star Trek. And then if they offered anything back to star Trek, seeing as how star Trek's been around before and after those things. (laughs) Um, Now you mentioned uh, before we started rolling that um, you are not a fan of Catherine Janeway as a captain. Now, because I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you state your case, but I'm going to present a strong case here, here up front. This is the, this is something I've said on the show at least once or twice but I'll present my argument and then you know turn it over to you. Uh, I I feel that I'm raised on um, I was raised on Picard, so Picard is quote unquote my captain. Mm-hmm. But when any when anybody ever asks who's the best captain, I actually go to Janeway. Now I say Janeway. That's taking all the captains into account, you know, uh, including Archer, including Pike, all of them. Right. Uh, I think they are all. I think they all are, they all present a different type of personality. Uh, to me, I feel like Kirk is the pirate, whereas Picard is more the soldier. Um, I feel like Cisco's the father, um, archers, the headstrong explorer, but Janeway, uh, a lot of people would expect me to say the mother, but, um, along with that, um, she's the survivor. Her ship was not meant to be out that far. Half her crew wanted to kill her like in the first episode, Uh, but not only was she able to win them over and gain their loyalty and trust to accomplish a single goal, but she was able to integrate Borg technology and a member of the Borg into the crew successfully. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, got everybody home. That's odds stacked against her. I mean, not to say that Picard and Kirk didn't have their fair share of troubles, but like they were pretty well prepared for them, especially Picard. Like looking at we we spent a little bit of time talking about uh, comic books before we got started, and we mentioned right it's tough to do stuff with Superman because he's got so many powers. Much like the crew of the seventeen oh one D, like there's that is a pocket knife of of skills and experience that's tough to beat. Um, but for Jane Wayne, not so much. So that's, that's my argument for her as the, as the best captain and now the rebuttal. Well,
1: (laughs) well, I will get, I will look at the captains a little bit differently that first look at, look at Kirk's age. Okay. That Kirk was a go-getter. He was, I won't say a hot dog. But he was very sharp. Now, people always want to go with the Kirk effect and say, oh, you know, well, he was just a playboy, and he was chasing all these girls. But if you actually look at at, uh, Kirk's personality, when he was described at the academy, what did they say? He was a stack of books with legs. That's That's an actual quote from the series. That's that's true. That Kirk was very sharp. He was very smart. He was a go-getter. And he was one of the youngest captains to have a Connie. So he's going to be a little more aggressive. He's going to be, um, more of a Horatio hornblower cat type of captain. Okay. Uh, If you look at Picard, Picard was older. This was not his first rodeo. Mm -hmm, He had mm -hmm. had a very long command with the stargazer and done a lot of stuff with the stargazer prior to getting the enterprise. So in his captaincy, you see a very standoffish, but concerned for his crew. He's aloof, but he's engaged and he is, he's a thoughtful captain. Mm. You can tell that he, uh, values the input of his crew not to say that kirk didn't but kirk was concerned for his ship but kirk also took a lot of the lead when guiding some of the decisions and the input he was getting i think that picard was more of a i'm fishing for the word he would get he would get his opinions from his trusted advisors and his senior crew members and take that synthesize it with his experience and come up with a plan. Yeah. Also, also the thing about Picard is Picard was very much of a, a you know a diplomat. Very true. He wanted he tried to smooth things over a lot and was successful with at it a lot of times. Um if you look at um Cisco, you know Cisco came into DS9 with a lot of baggage. Oh yeah it was not it was not a a premier assignment this was kind of like we need somebody who can take this situation in hand and straighten it out and i think that starfleet command looked at him and he said you are the guy that is going to get things done follow the rules when you need to you know maybe not follow the rules when you need to but still keep (laughs) but still keep the end goal in mind And you look at the way he handled the Cardassians that I don't know if a Picard could have done as well in the same situation. Mm -hmm. It's a good point. Um, And since, since you talked, we we were going to talk about Archer, look at the situation that the earth was in. They were in a position where the human spirit to explore, to get out there and to go. And they felt like that the Vulcans were kind of treating them like, um, an overprotective, uh, school teacher on a field trip. Yeah. Yeah. Now, don't, don't go over there, little Johnny, something bad <laughs> might happen. And we don't really think you're ready for this. Uh-huh. And Archer, you know, his thing was, I am ready. We are ready. Right. And we want to take that first step. And granted he made mistakes. He did some things out of good intentions of what he thought was the best situation. And sometimes it you know that was the whole plot of the story is that he tried to be a good guy and try to do the stand-up thing and sometimes the universe is not ready for stand-up guys to do stand-up things yeah um my issues and since we're since we got to get down to to janeway is that janeway was i think that she did well in the situation she was in but the my problem was always that not crew management as much as there were situations that she got into that. I think that she took an, a, you know, an aggressive stance where you might say, oh, well, the prime directive says we can't do that, but we're going to do this other thing anyway. And then we're going to say, oh, well, we can't do that because, you know, it's the prime directive.
0: Right. It just seems
1: like that sometimes she was using it as a as a cudgel, and then sometimes she was using it as a crutch. And I will definitely give you that she held the crew together and got the ship through a an extraordinary trip. Yeah, but there were, you know, there's still a lot of pissed off people in the Delta Quadrant. Uh, so yeah, like I said, I, she's not my favorite mainly because I didn't really like Voyager as much as I like some of the other series and I've tried to go that's back fa- and that's watch. Fair. that's and, fair. And part of it is I'll admit I've never seen every episode of Voyager, Of Voyager. Okay. Now I've, I've sat down and tried to start watching it. And part of it was because when Voyager came out, the local station that c- carried it was also started carrying I think that was when they started carrying the, uh, hurricanes hockey games.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> so
1: what, what happened is that they would get preempted and, you know, Voyager will be on at three o'clock in the morning. And I'm oh, like, oh, man, you know, some of us have jobs <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that, um, since we're, since we go back about age, I was in college when, uh, next generation premiered. And again, a shout out for, for dad is that our cable in Boone didn't carry next gen, but it carried it at home. So dad would videotape the episodes for me. And when I came home for national guard drill, once a month, I would take a big stack of VHS tapes back to school with me to, <laughs> to awesome. watch the episodes complete with commercials, complete with commercials. Oh, and nice and complete with cutting the cold intro off and oh. you know that dad tried hey and so i've actually <laughs> gone back through and watched some of those and i've still got all the tapes in a box in the basement oh wow but, but i've actually gone back through and done a religious rewatch of next gen because as we had talked before that you know i was in the era that when next gen premiered Everybody was going, this isn't Kirk and Spock. This is not star Trek. (laughs) And it's so funny now that the people that grew up with next gen are looking at, you know, the stuff that Alex Kurtzman's doing. And they're going, this isn't star Trek. This isn't Picard and wharf. Right. I'm going, oh, you guys, because because it's cyclical. Right. Really? Yeah. You're absolutely right. Wherever you entered the franchise is your only frame of reference.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah you're absolutely right about that
1: and you know people have talked about the cinematic style of discovery and how it's big like a motion picture and i've said it for years if gene roddenberry would have had the money in the 60s then you wouldn't have always had the enterprise going from left to right and the same shot around the planet yeah and the same zoom zoom scenes and i think there would have been a little more you know whooshy whooshy pew pew because i think that's i think that's what he wanted to do but the problem is if you look at the history of tos the budget was tight in the beginning and only got tighter as the series went on so we got what we got and i think that you have to take that into context that the stories are different now but I would argue that uh, television is different now.
0: Well, you know, you bring up an interesting point about how TV is different. I know you've heard me mention this on uh, previous episodes of this show in that enterprise, you know, we've talked a lot about the TNG and TOS, but enterprise Mm -hmm. does kind of stand alone, even from, even from the new uh, Kurtzman era or the discovery era, however you want to classify it Um, enterprise kind of stands by itself in that it was kind of after the trend of uh, episodic uh, Mm -hmm. nature of television. And then, but it was just before the serialized trend uh, came back into prominence with ABC's lost is the only, is the, uh, is the one I always point to uh, kickstarting that. But um, so you having of everyone that's been on the show so far, on this podcast so far, you bring the most unique perspective in that you were there for first runs of 95% of all of this stuff. So yeah. what what is your thought on enterprise as a whole and, you know, Archer and the crew and how, and how that has all played out, you know, now that we are, of course, 20, 20 years removed from it, but right. what, what are your thoughts on enterprise?
1: Well, I like it because and we had we had talked about this before that you had a series that was laying the foundation for the things that we saw in tos why was the federation like it was why did they, why were there rules like there were and enterprise gave us a look into where all that came from um i like the fact that there are some there are some bottle episodes there are some episodes of Enterprise that stand on their own. Yeah. And then even through the seasons, they had some long arc stories. Yes. And even though I I wasn't a huge fan of the Time War, I wasn't <laughs> a huge fan of all the Zendi arc things. Mm-hmm. I will say that if you look at where they finally landed at the end of season three through season four, mm-hmm. I think they got their legs. I think they were actually making some progress and you could see some of the stories getting better because you got to see, uh, the Vulcan arc and the Andorian yes. arc.
0: Yeah. And
1: yeah. I would have liked to have seen them do perhaps a, you know, a, a teller arc, um, If there was, Mm -hmm. if there was a story that I would love to see if they were going to bring back an enterprise era series, I'd love for them to cover the Romulan war, which happened after, after the end of enterprise, Mm -hmm. but prior to TOS, because there's a lot that happened there that set the stage for
0: the things we saw in balance of terror. Right. Do you think, uh, do you think strange new, sorry to cut you off. Do you think strange new worlds is going to focus on the Romulan war?
1: I think the strange new worlds is going to try to give us a little more of things that happened before Kirk. I think they're going to look at, look at some of the things because there is, there's, there was a lot of real estate from the time that the enterprise launched until the federation was founded Mm -hmm. and there's also a lot of real estate between the founding of the federation and that first episode in the man trap. So I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of unexplored territory in there. And the only caution is you have to be really careful how you go, because there's lots of people who argued about the things that happened in the first season of discovery. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that people are going, well, that didn't necessarily fit in with the timeline, but, and as much as I hate to bring it up, you know, unless you're Alex Peters, uh, <laughs> there, there are a lot of things that I think bear a little more examination of, you know, how did the Federation and the Klingons get to be how they are by the time you get things like day of the dove?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Uh,
1: there's a there's a lot of space out there to explore there's a lot of stories that could be told and i'm hoping that with the right stewardship and especially gotta say it anson mount uh is probably fighting his way up my list as captain pike
0: nice i mean amongst all the captains or amongst all amongst
1: all the amongst all the captains.
0: nice okay cool Um,
1: cool because I really like, because Pike to me has the middle ground between Kirk and Picard. Yes. That, okay. That yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He's still willing to jump in there and get his hands dirty, but he also can step back and, you know, get that counsel from people who know better and ask and ask for input and then make decisions.
0: Mm, and.
1: Yeah. And like I said, I was a big fan of Anson Mount when he did Hell on Wheels.
0: Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And, uh, and another thing, with Hell on Wheels, you had Cole Meany. <laughs> yeah, because we all because we always have to have more Chief O'Brien. Of course, uh, can't have enough Chief O'B- Chief O'Brien. <laughs> so I, like I said, I, I think that they've got a lot of a lot of virgin territory in there a lot of things they can do and i'm excited because they've said we're going to make it more episodic
0: nice yeah that'll be fun
1: yeah because you and i both know that if you want to just sit down and watch star trek it's easy to go to tos or tng and just pick a spot and go play yeah you can't do that as much with ds9 or voyager yeah. You can do it a little bit with enterprise. It's really tough to do with discovery.
0: Oh, it's damn near impossible to do with discovery.
1: Yeah. Cause you can't <laughs> just jump in the middle. Right. Um, and there were several friends of mine with disco, especially that were going, oh, I just couldn't get past the first episode. And I've said like so many other series that I've enjoyed agents of shield for one, is that you have to start at the beginning and slog through those first four or five expositional episodes to kind of get your, get your bearings, get your feet wet. And then it all blossoms. Yeah. And, uh, yes, there are things that I could say just like any series that I love, there are points that I can point fingers at and go, I really didn't dig that. Or that was a bad, that was a bad writing choice, but (laughs) For the most part, I've really enjoyed Discovery. Um, I'm a fan of new content. You know, you can watch, you can can love TNG, but you've got what you got.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're absolutely right. It's over and done with now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And there's a point when you watch it, when you kind of know it's, it's, it's comfort food because you know you know you you can enjoy it and watch it enjoy the episode but you kind of know where you're going you know what you're going to end up
0: with exactly yeah and you know and looking at looking at archer and how his command style is so different um Mm -hmm. out of necessity for the story that he's in but also you've got a very different actor coming to this role you know uh both Shatner and, uh, and Sir, uh, Sir Patrick Stewart were not big sci-fi guys earlier in their career, save for maybe Patrick Stewart with Dune. But like, you know, Scott Bakula came to this thing with heavy sci-fi cred from Quantum Leap. Yep. And then it seemed like most of the rest of the crew got filled out with character actors, soap mm-hmm. opera actors. Mm-hmm. A few models here and there but mostly uh you know everybody in the background is usually a day player or somebody he worked with on quantum leap <laughs> yep uh you know how do you feel that the day-to-day the overall vibe of enterprise stacks up with like the everyday you know just the that interactions uh, on the ship of, you know, the 1701, uh, versus the enterprise D versus the nx one, like how do those, how do those gel in your mind? It's, it, it's so weird because they, you know, what was the most recent of those three is the uh, oldest is the oldest. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I try to look at it that when you look at the 1701s crew, mm-hmm. who was the rookiest person on the bridge? It was Chekhov. Yeah. And that was on purpose Mm -hmm. that you look at all the rest of them. They're all full lieutenants, lieutenant commanders, yeah, which means they've been in Starfleet for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at Scotty, who's one of my favorite characters from way back. Yeah. That Scotty, uh, he'd been an engineer on a bunch of different ships and he got the Enterprise and that was his baby. Oh yeah. Yeah, But he was an old, he was an old grizzled veteran Uh that there were not a lot of new people that had not been in the service for, you know, a short period of time. So that's why you got Chekhov being Chekhov, but you noticed that he had a support system of all these old heads around him to kind of rein him in. Yeah. Uh, if you look at Discovery, you've got a fairly experienced crew that they're still learning and they're still growing together, but for the most part, there weren't a lot of, you know, except for Tilly, you didn't have a lot of cadets or ensigns or people who were fresh out of the academy, right, who who kind of didn't know the deal. Yeah. Look at Enterprise. You're talking about this is the first warp 5 ship. They've pulled this crew together. Archer found all the people that he wanted to fill all the niches that he thought they were going to need. So he pulled Hoshi, you know, out of, a out of university as a translator. Uh, trip was a, you know, an established engineer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Malcolm was a good weapons officer, but, Nobody had been out, you know, nobody yeah. had been, yeah. <laughs> you know, of all the people on the bridge to Paul was the only one that really had any serious space time,
0: yeah.
1: except for our man, our man Mayweather who grew up, you know, who, who was a boomer who grew up on a ship. Yeah.
0: He's, he's my favorite. He's my favorite uh, of of this series. He's, he's my favorite.
1: Well, and I think that as many people would say, I think there are times when he was criminally underused. Oh yes. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And as far as it goes, I'll go ahead and, and plant my flag on this Um, trip was one of my favorite characters because uh, when people talk about representation, he is he's the lone southerner true (laughs) if you look at, if you look even though he's from florida uh i i'll i will say that's that's my only point of contention there yeah and it's like i love you florida but (laughs) You know, there's still a lot of people there that are from New Jersey.
0: So. Uh, yeah, exactly. New Jersey and Detroit. <laughs> if you, if I, you're wondering why Florida is the way it is, most of its population is from the worst cities in the north. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, and of
1: course now, now they're they're drifting their way north.
0: Yeah.
1: As as a friend of mine in your end of the world says, he says they have a lot of halfbacks. Ah. basically they started in new york they went to florida and then went halfway back and now they're in like north georgia and yeah that little little western corner of south carolina exactly but (laughs) but you look at you look at archer's crew and they were legitimately going where no human had gone before
0: yeah so
1: so you didn't have a lot of people that came off of like Kirk, Kirk served on the Farragut, you know, uh, Spock served on the Enterprise, but he served on some other ships. Scotty served on other ships. McCoy served on other ships. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have that big backlog of experience of people that had, you know, already been out and seen some things mm-hmm. and, you know, gone on away missions. So there were rough spots with the NXO one because they were literally going where nobody had gone before they were kind of having to make some of the rules up as they go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Here's the key. Here's the keys to your brand new ship. Let us know if anything breaks. All right. Whatever they screw up, that's what we'll base the manual off of. (laughs) And Oh yeah.
1: And to, to bring it up, you know, in my experience in both the military and the police department Mm -hmm. that I know for a fact, there are some general orders that came about because of something one of my peers did worse that it sounds silly,
0: but we have to tell you because somebody did it
1: (laughs) or, or they'll, they'd have something written one particular way. And it says, don't do this. Yeah. (laughs) And they said, well, we told you not to do this. I said, no, you said, don't do that. It's like, Oh, so we have to make it explicitly clear. Don't do this and this or this other thing. Yep. (laughs) Because there are just like, as we, we were talking about gaming, there are rules lawyers who will look and say, well, it only says that I'll take damage if I fall 30 feet. It doesn't say I'll take damage. If I fall 20 feet, that does it exactly. (laughs) And so we all shook our fists and go, damn you, Gary Gygax.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And that's, and uh, that's such a interesting, uh, it's an interesting way to look at it because here they are, they are out there there. They are the first ones out there kind of, slowly planting seeds of unity and uh, what will eventually become the Federation. But at times they're having to, okay, Hey, the plant's about to explode. Come on, let's get out of here. No, you're going to collect your rocks. Okay. All right. Uh, are you sure? Cause we got orders. You're going to stay. Okay. Maybe we should go now. How about now? Okay. Let's, let's go, go now. now. <laughs> and then you have, uh, you know, instances where, you know, because there is no prime directive and because, you know, our curiosity gets the best of us and we can't leave well enough alone, it ends up costing somebody their life. So, Mm -hmm. uh, without getting too much further into spoiler territory, let's get into this week's recap. Let's do it. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. UPN next Wednesday. I'd rather die than be treated by him. The situation is complicated. Centuries of hatred. I won't let that man die in my sick bay. Find a way to help him. Questions of loyalty. I'm giving you an order. I'm afraid I can't follow it. A compelling all new Enterprise. The breach next week at eight seven seven. At the request of the Denobulan Science Academy, Enterprise goes to extract a group of three geologists from a planet where xenophobic militants have taken charge and decreed that all off-worlders must evacuate. Everyone, get out! Being experienced with caving, Travis is chosen to lead Trip and Reed on the underground rescue mission. They have only 3 days to return to the surface with the scientists before the negotiated government ceasefire expires. As the enterprise nears the planet, it comes to the aid of an alien evacuee transport suffering from a dangerous radiation leak. And so on. The most seriously injured of the various aliens brought aboard is Hudak, an Antaran whose species has centuries-long history of conflict and animosity with the Denobulans. Though suffering from a fatal case of radiation poisoning and being the first time the two species have interacted in generations, he immediately refuses help from Doc Phlox. I don't need help. Archer orders Phlox to treat him, but he reluctantly declines, since Denobulan medical ethics place the patient's wishes above all other considerations. Meanwhile. Underground, the crew make good progress, but Travis injures his leg, leaving him behind, Reed and Tripp soon locate the Denobulan geologists who are happily engaged in recording the various rare and precious geological features of the cavern. With time running out, Tripp is insistent the group departs while the scientists downplay the level of the threat but finally assent. Back on the ship, using tact and diplomacy of his own, Doc Flox endeavors to help Hudak but his initial attempts end in failure. Flox, for his part, is also upset at the mutual hatred between the two species but since Hudak refuses to be treated, Phlox must wait. Sucks. Eventually, Hudak reflects on Doc Flox's words and agrees to the life-saving procedure. An agreement is then reached in which the three Denobulans are granted passage home on the same transport as Hudak. Great. And then UBN next Wednesday. An alien race gives a whole new meaning to close encounters of the third kind. Maybe we could sleep together. They need free to mate. I'm pretty familiar with how it works with two sexes, but oh well. I have pictures. A provocative all-new Enterprise co-genitor UBN next Wednesday at eight seven central. While exploring a hypergiant star, Enterprise makes first contact with an advanced and very friendly alien race known as the Visians. The two starship crews are happy to intermingle. Nice mm. nice nice Tripp becomes intrigued when he meets a Visian couple in the mess hall accompanied by a third member of their race and learns that the being, which has no name, is a cogenitor, a third gender in Visian biology. Cogenitors are needed to complete reproduction, they don't genetically contribute to offspring but supply an enzyme required for fertilization. Since cogenitors only constitute 3% of the population, Vizians must apply to have a cogenitor assigned to them when they intend to conceive a child. Cogenitors are considered mentally deficient. I'm retarded. And are not citizens on equal terms with men and women. Meanwhile, on the ship, Reed finds himself the romantic focus of a female Vizian crew member, their tactical officer. Archer bonds with the alien captain while on a three-day reconnaissance of the star in a small probe. Tripp becomes increasingly intent on the rights of the Cogenitor and learns, with the help of Doc Phlox, that they are actually equally intelligent. On the alien vessel, without the couple's knowledge, Tripp secretly encourages the Cogenitor to learn to read. do you know what the worst part of all is? I never learned to read! (laughs) While building a friendship with them. Despite having a near total lack of education available, she is an insatiable learner. Soon, learning the importance of names, she asks to be called Charles. wonder where she got that idea. Tripp entertains her on Enterprise, showing her the day the Earth stood still. God, I hope it wasn't the one from 2008. The reeves version made me want to kill myself. Charles soon realizes that future life in vision society would be unfulfilling. She requests political asylum. Great. Archer now returns to find himself in the middle of a first-contact diplomatic crisis, with the Vizians confused and defensive at Tripp's interference in their traditions. Sucks! Tripp appeals to Archer's sense of justice, but he sides with the Vizians. With the co-genitor returned, the Vizians hope good relations with the humans can continue. Later, communications reveal that Charles committed suicide, thereby delaying the birth of the Vizian's child and straining the relationship between the two species. Archer summons trip and severely reprimands him for his lack of professionalism and judgment. Whoa. So, we've got some interesting things happening in these two episodes. Let's start with the Breach where um they've got stuff going on. I don't know I don't know that uh later versions or later crews, I should say, would be allowed to even do what they did in this one. I mean, I guess the Vulcans ordered uh, the Vulcans asked Starfleet to order Archer to go do the thing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, if they're, if they're, they're collecting rocks. Okay. Bye. <laughs> like, we're going to bounce. Cause you're about to be blown smithereens. <laughs> what are your uh, thoughts? What are your thoughts on the breach? See, I don't know, man. The, the problem I had with the
1: first part of the breach was just the whole, why are we having to go into a deep dark cave with, the equipment we had
0: right
1: because okay okay, we can't we can't just use our magical technological deuce ex machina and say we'll just use the transporter of course because they're buried under miles and miles of interesting rocks Mm -hmm. but the whole idea of them having to send a team down into this you know lava tube I was going to say it earlier but you know, this is the uh Enterprise version of that Stallone mountain climbing movie, except that <laughs> in, instead of
0: Cliffhanger.
1: Yeah, cliffhanger. Yeah. I, you
0: know,
1: instead of the, you know, yo Adrian, uh, take the rope. <laughs> you know, you get you get Travis wedged up trying to make sure nobody goes splatto there at the end. Right, right. And of course it was in the dark uh i guess i don't know if later crews would have left the denobulans underground i think it would have been to the point where it's like there's three of us there's three of them send a bigger team stun them carry them out (laughs) uh yeah because we've seen this before Uh uh-huh you know this is this is a this plot bunny has been around that you know well we don't want to leave what are we going to do? We, you need to leave. Things are going to be bad. You need right. to go. Well, we're not going, but no, I have a bushel basket full of rocks. I need to take back to the university.
0: Right. Right.
1: Yeah. 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 Have you seen a geode like this before? It's amazing. <laughs> we can learn so much from this rock. Right. Right. And it's like, you don't seem to understand there's, there's really another bunch of pissed off aliens up there who want to kill you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They're they're going to take that
1: rock and shove it where the sun doesn't shine, and and that's what I (laughs) never get about these, you know, the the prototypical sci-fi scientist guy is like, you know, you just want to go, Doc, don't you get it? Yeah, that angry people with guns are going to come here and kill you. Yeah, (laughs) he said, but we're just peacefully exploring and doing science. Yeah, yeah,
0: we're on a mission of peaceful scientific exploration. And you're trespassing and you're just, <laughs> well, yeah, it's like you almost wish that like they had those t-shirts on board enterprise of like, no, but we're on a, you know, yeah. mission of peaceful exploration. All right, here's the t-shirt that says so now let's go. <laughs> let's go. Yes, you are. We recognize it. Good for you. Your checks in the mail. Let's get out of here. So what, uh, you know, it gets pretty tense with, um, with doc flocks and, hudak um yeah, i gotta i gotta very much so before we get into like the nitty-gritty of it i'm gonna really give uh you know uh john billingsley a big hand because like he really cranks out a hell of a performance here um, he brought it he yeah brought it. he really did he really did what are your thoughts on that whole well, that whole chain of events and exchange between those two characters and it's i mean we've seen
1: things like this before when you have interspecies conflict but we've never had it on the ship like yeah with you know because when when it started and they said oh we have a denobulan doctor it was kind of like you know look at us we're so we're so cosmopolitan yeah (laughs) we have a denobulan doctor and then we get smacked in the face with the interchange with him and and, uh, hudak and it's it's even more relevant now because you could think about it you know interchange whatever two groups you want to throw into the mix there yeah yeah and you know this guy's like you know i'm not gonna have him touching me yeah i don't you know i don't trust him he's going to kill me his people have been trying to you know kill us for generations sure you know it would be I mean, well, pick any two, like I said, pick any two groups you want to pick.
0: Well, my, my uh, wife, my wife works in the medical field and I, we, I, you know, granted, that's not much of a translation to modern day, but like people, you know, don't want to be operated on by, uh, by a female doctor or, you know, or a male doctor, you know, they don't want a male doctor to see a female patient, uh, disrobe or any of, any of those things, you know, are certain, you know, certain um, certain ethnicities don't want to be operated on uh, or treated by a different ethnicity. You know, they want, you know, you know, uh, folks of middle Eastern descent want a middle Eastern doctor. Well, well we got it. We got a Jewish doctor. We got an American doctor or we got a German doctor. That was the other I'll, thing that I was thinking yeah, about was like, I'll
1: roll, I'll roll you on in. for Sure.
0: That. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. There go
1: was, there was a, a a gentleman that I grew up with who had been a POW in world war II. That's
0: exactly where I was going. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, (laughs) and he, and yeah, there was a point where he had a German doctor and that was an issue. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's not so, you know, that's like one generation removed, you know, that's Mm -hmm. not very far apart. Yeah. Um, You know, people talk about, uh, certain, you know, certain conflicts amongst people
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, you know, again, I will own it, you know, as a Southerner, you know, we've had, we had problems in the past with race relations. And I take it very personally when somebody said, well, you know, you're a racist or a bigot because I sound like I do. And I'm from, you know, I'm from the South right. and, you know, I would like to think that, you know, I've raised my kids and I, I believe like Flock said, you know, that I will judge you by the merits of your actions and your character, not by where you came from. Yeah. And it was really, it, it was emotional because, you know, Flock's was trying to, you know, wanted to help the guy, but the guy, but their medical code was if they refuse treatment, you can't treat them. Yeah even though how many times have we seen, you know, doc flocks treat people in spite of them wanting to be treated. Uh
0: Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Maybe if we recall, uh, maybe even our Klingon passenger from series one, episode one.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, the, the very emotional, um, events of season one, episode 13, dear doctor, (laughs) Mm Um, the, yeah, I mean, there's, there's that, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because it's not the Hippocratic oath, but it's something very similar. Very. Um, yeah. And man, I,
1: and and the fact that, you know, Hodak was so, so convinced. He said, I don't want you to touch me because he, he couldn't see past the fact that this was a genobulum. Right. It didn't matter that archers telling him, let this man help you. And he's going, well, no, he's going to kill me. He's going to do something. He said, you don't know what his people have done to my people. Right. And the part, the part of it for me, that sort of even pounded that home harder is their species. Haven't even interacted with each other for For hundreds of years, hundreds of
0: years. Yeah.
1: So all they got were, you know, stories that great grandpa said, right. And I would like to think that over time we progress, we improve, we get better. And when, you know, Flox was saying, you know, I taught my children not to be that way. Right. And then he was talking about his son and it was just, it was emotional. Very. Because you've got this guy that, you know, you can help, but he's refusing help. Yeah. And the struggle, the struggle for Doc is I can save him if he would just let me. Yep. But I can't, I can't force him to take the treatment. Yeah. And I'm going, you know, what an, in part of it, you will say, what a knucklehead. You know, he's laying there and he's dying. He knows he's dying, but he's so
0: headstrong that he just yeah. can't let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Having, having time, having time on their side was, big benefit but yeah it, you know when you're when you're dead set on a certain chain of ideals mm-hmm. um be it from uh you know uh socioeconomic upbringing or you know a particular religious raising or you know the race the the racial feelings of you know wherever it is you uh live uh you know when that when those things are so ingrained it's such a It's such a hard thing to to break that cycle, and you know, it's because
1: well, you have to because there's there's multiple things in play. One of them is trust. Yeah, you have to trust somebody that you were taught from you know your mama's knee that these people want to do you harm.
0: Yeah, yeah, and
1: and the hardest thing for a lot of people to face. And I will, I will take part of that myself because I can admit it being an old guy is that sometimes if you take one preconception and you prove that it's wrong or that it's not perfect or that it's flawed, then you have that cascade effect. Well, if I was wrong about that, maybe I was wrong about this other thing and maybe I was wrong about this other, other thing. And so you get into, you know, you get that big existential crisis where, you know, what, what do I really believe? What do I really think? Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's the thing of if you, whether, whether or not you are a religious person, Mm -hmm. that there are times when logic may fail but you still have to have something that you believe in, that you believe, you know, that there may be an innate goodness in people. There may be an innate evil in people. There mm-hmm. may be, you know, people are a blank canvas on which, you know, you can put your, your feelings or your, you know, intentions upon. But that point you reach in your life where you where you go, I've got to trust people because they may let me down, but if I don't trust people, then what am I going to do? Am I going to live in this perpetual cycle of negativity?
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And, well, as an old, as an old Marine friend of mine once said, you know, you don't necessarily treat everybody like they're going to kill you, but you kind of keep it in the back of your mind. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That, You know, doing what I've, what I've done over the years, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to be compassionate. You have to be professional. You have to be able to dispassionately do what you need to do while still trying to treat people with respect, Mm -hmm. even in situations that makes that extremely hard for the flawed human being that is doing the, the job.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, uh, in looking at all that stuff, it's uh, and you talked about the cascade effect, and boy, it's easy for that stuff to steamroll, you know, one way or another, for good or for bad. But yeah, you hope to you hope to sort of steer it of like, hey, you know what? Those preconceived notions aren't they're not all true. And if and if this one's not true, let's look at this one. Maybe that one's not true either. And hopefully, steer it that way. But yeah, yeah, you really have to be on on your p's and q's when it comes to encountering that sort of prejudice i'll say mm-hmm. and uh you know and hopefully you don't confirm their misconceptions like right and, and well it,
1: people have always said that there's always a grain of truth in stereotypes sure yeah yeah there's always there's always a possibility that it's, there is it's the, something it's the
0: basis for stand-up comedy
1: <laughs> well there you go yeah <laughs> because well i mean i mean let's let's again look at it
0: that there
1: are several, several comedians who have made quite a bit of money by, uh, poking fun at what people, you know, do and things they
0: say. And sure for, for a long, long time, long time, <laughs> not just recent yeah, that's been going and, on for a long time.
1: <laughs> and the heart, the hardest thing is for us to loosen up enough to kind of laugh at ourselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah, especially nowadays, you know, well, okay. So, you know, before we stray too far (laughs) down that path. (laughs) We're, we're, we're on the same pike there. Right. You know, looking at it, you know, I think, and I think this is what, uh, you know, for naysayers of, of enterprise, of which you, you well know, there are plenty of folks who, keep enterprise uh at arm's length if not further if possible but you know this is one of those things where i think they examine some really interesting things uh socially um and i think a lot of that has to have come out of this world that it's post 9-11 you know this is where we are reevaluating you know Our beliefs and how we treat each other and what is the what is the true definition of neighbor how how are we you know how are we interacting with them what is the true definition of a hero what is the true definition of all of these things and uh you know like good sci-fi and i think you'd back me up on this good sci-fi has always been uh, a mirror to society and a bit of a cautionary tale of mm-hmm. like, Hey, this is what, you know what? Yeah. We've got aliens and spaceships, but some of this stuff is happening right now and mm-hmm. it's happened before. And this is what we're looking at happening again. If we don't do something, if we don't change, if we don't stop and think I I've just finished an episode uh here recently where that was, that became a big uh through line of uh, thought of like, if you just. Stop and think, you know, I I don't know how much you dealt with this in your time on the uh, in law enforcement, but uh, part of my career was uh, campus police. So I worked with a lot of Mm -hmm. 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds where it was, hey, stop and think you're in college. This is the time to do that sort of thing. Stop and think you might save yourself a lot of trouble. (laughs) Um, But, you know, again, talking about the cascade effect, let's get into the next episode where that we see we see the other side where the ball rolls a different direction because we can't keep you know we can't for lack of a better term we can't keep our hands to ourselves and we just we let our curiosity get the best of us and it ends up having some serious serious consequences i mean there's been there's been some pretty serious episodes of enterprise so far here we're getting to the end of season 2 of enterprise but i felt like this one was really heavy if not the most heavy so far what did you think
1: well yeah because we had this situation where we're putting somebody in with one moral referential set of thoughts and like like it came down in the end we interfered with the way that they had done they have to do business you know the way that their species has to procreate yeah and the problem was trip is looking at it as any of us would that you know these people you know they're these the cogenitors are being oppressed you know Mm -hmm. they're being held back they're being you know they're they're second class citizens you know they're they don't have access you know they're keeping them you know, to use the old, one of the old sayings or, you know, they're keeping them, you know, st- stupid barefoot and in the kitchen.
0: Right. Yeah. And
1: you know, that he's looking at it purely as mm-hmm. these people are not being afforded the opportunities to learn and to improve themselves and to see that there's a bigger world out there. Right. When, you know, from the vision's perspective, you know, we've got to have these people for our species to continue and we can't you know we can't have them getting them uppity ideas to go and do for themselves because we we need them to make the rest of the world go
0: yeah we have to ensure the survival of our species Yeah. yeah
1: yeah and it's it's one of the things that I don't think anybody's ever gotten into the fact that what beta canon said that the Andorians are trisexual.
0: Really? I'm, yeah.
1: That there's I, a, like, there's like th- not necessarily three genders, but there's three, you know, th- three genotypes that are needed for reproduction. Huh. I don't know. That I, like I, said, that. I think it's beta canon. I know yeah. that that's why you have, it's, and I'm going to get this wrong, but it's like fins ands and something else. There's like another one.
0: Oh, okay. No, that but, makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But it's still, but it's still the same thing with the Visians that they need the cogenitors to reproduce. Yeah. And because they are a small number in the population, they have to kind of regulate it, they kind of have to control them. Mm-hmm. And I would disagree that it was necessarily the right thing to keep them, you know, uneducated and basically a servile class for everybody else.
0: Yeah. Because
1: that, you know, that is a hot button type issue for humans. We don't like that very much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're absolutely right. Slavery doesn't sit too well. (laughs) No slavery.
1: Slavery doesn't sit too well. And even though it's, it's a legacy of human culture in almost all cultures. Mm. And there are still some forms of it that are still running around today in other parts of the world. But does that make it the fact that it's still going on? Does not make it right? No, but you can also go back to the argument of in that particular culture. Does it serve a purpose? right right yeah in, that, in terms
0: of biology
1: <laughs> yeah and especially yeah. like <laughs> you know, especially with the visians that they have to have this this third party and even though we want to you know that the starfleet guys came into it with the best intentions mm-hmm. that again that's why we have the prime directive as we know it now yes because You can't just go into cultures like that and say, well, even though it's a biological imperative for you, it's a naughty, naughty thing. And you can't do that. Right. Right. Yeah. Maybe there is a way in years to come that they can come up with a better way, a more enlightened way to handle the congenitors.
0: Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, and again, you know, with there not being a prime directive, we have to, we have to let them, we have to let them find that on their own. You know, that's part of the reason, uh, you know, with dear doctor and, uh, Oh, there was another episode. What was it called? Um, civilization, you know, with them, with them needing, um, you know, with them needing, uh, medicine and things of that nature, there's so many different instances of like, you know what, this is actually something that is supposed to happen. You know, you know, the, the dying off of this, you know, they've reached the end of their, you know, journey here. They've reached the end of their life cycle as a species. They're, they're meant to pass on, you know, that's, that's something that's natural and that's supposed to take place, you know, so for us to interfere, you know, with this instance, you know, part of, part of the thing that I kept (laughs) yelling at the TV about was since episode one, trip has been, Hey, can I go on the away mission? Hey, can I go on the away mission? Hey, can I go on the away mission? You know, he gets this one interaction with someone and it ends up costing a life. And he, you know, blatantly, you know, blatantly ignored so many red flags. It's not even funny. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, and again, seemingly without, unfortunately, seemingly without consequence, like he gets a stern finger shaking from Archer, but like, that's it. I, to be honest. And again, you having served, uh, at home and abroad, um, he'd have lost rank, wouldn't he? I'd have, I'd have asked for one of his pips. Well,
1: either he would have lost a pip or he would be, he would be painting a lot of bulkheads and scrubbing a lot of floors and not participating in movie night. And yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh geez. Yeah. Well. Oh man. And and it's such a, you know,
1: but see the problem the, the, the other problem is they're far enough out that he can't say, you know, you're on the first, you know, you're on the first. Yeah. Uh, can't kick uh, him boat. off the ship. Yeah. He's yeah. you, your engineer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it's a Navy thing. And, but, you know, you're on the first supply plane back to Norfolk, mister. Exactly. Exactly. We're getting it. We're getting somebody else. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or. Or like you said, yeah, we're going to reduce your rank and we're going to make you know Lieutenant yeah. Schmuckatelli the chief engineer.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, you know. But yeah, the problem
1: we, is, Trip Trip knows too much. Yeah,
0: yeah, he really does. And, I mean, and, and, you know, he's you know, you know he's holding that engine together with duct tape and a ball peen hammer and baling wire, bailing wire exactly. <laughs> that.
1: Uh, but you're right they can't they can't really replace him because they don't have like a stock of engineers that well eventually they did you know he did go to the columbia
0: that's right yeah he does go to the columbia but
1: but the if you think about it and i'm trying to remember when it happened that's (coughs) excuse me Trips was bad for getting into naughty trouble on away missions. wasn't Yeah.
0: Yeah. Every time he goes on away, it's, you know, he, he, he yearns to go on the away mission so hard. And then once he gets there, he ends up putting his hands in a, in a bowl of marbles and getting pregnant.
1: (laughs) Yep. That was, that was where I was going next. You know, oh man yeah he caused well, caused it calls an international caused an interstellar incident oh my caused god. A, caused, a, caused a foreign national to commit suicide uh-huh got pregnant uh you know, <laughs> he does not have a good track record here <laughs> it's like keep him on the boat
0: man yes oh my god please they look
1: say look uh I was reviewing your maintenance log and I think you need to replace the plasma injectors and, in, in uh, you know, the, the starboard in a cell this weekend, I oh, guess you
0: can't go on the mission. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you know, I, I
1: heard, I heard, you know, I, I heard they were having some problems with the plumbing on deck three.
0: So could you get
1: right on that for me?
0: Trip. It's a problem only you can handle. We need you on this. You've, you, you
1: have your, to ex, your you, expertise and training are the only one that can take care of it.
0: <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> well, let's get into some of the stats. Uh, as we do every week, we always ask the question, who do we blame? Uh, this, uh, the breach was written by Daniel McCarthy and the teleplay was done by Chris black and John Chabon, uh, black and Shaban, We've seen them. We've seen their work before. Uh, uh, Chris Black's last uh, work on the show was uh, season two, episode 15, Cease Fire. And John Shaban' his last was uh, two episodes later, season two, episode 17, Canamar. Uh, but the interesting part is uh, the story by Daniel McCarthy. And he doesn't have a Wikipedia page. And I went to his IMDb page and he's got this episode of Enterprise. And then 12 years later has two appearances as a contestant on a game show. So Daniel McCarthy, if you are out there and you hear this, please reach out to us at computer resume on all of the socials. We want to talk to you. We want to figure out how you got this gig uh, on Star Trek enterprise. I'm sure it's a fascinating story. Uh, But what is, what is your only writing credit for 500, Alex? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we lump these two uh, these two episodes together because this is another instance of, we've got some uh, former cast members returning as crew. Uh, this is another cast as crew block of episodes. The Breach was directed by uh, Robert Duncan McNeil, a.k.a. Tom Paris from Star Trek Voyager. Uh, This is the second of four episodes of Enterprise that he's directed. Uh, His last episode was season one, episode 11, Cold Front. Uh, So we get to see a little bit more of his work here. Uh, The guest stars, we've got Mr. Henry Strom as Hudak. Uh, he's primarily a stage actor in New York. He's done some things that some folks might be familiar with. The Crucible on Broadway, Henry V and Winter's Tale off Broadway, and some regional work with uh, Cyrano de Bergerac, Julius Caesar, and the importance of being earnest. Uh, his uh, film credits are kind of sparse as well, but he's, uh, he was in Regarding Henry in 1991, Requiem for a Dream in 2000, and The Greatest Showman in 2017 i really enjoyed the greatest Showman, um but this is his only franchise appearance here as hudak uh then we've got dc douglas as zep uh his film career has some interesting entries in it uh a lot of straight to video sequels and things that you would find You wouldn't find them in the $5 bin. You'd probably find them in the $2 bin. Like a lot of stuff. It was like, oh, somebody worked really hard on that right out of college. (laughs) Uh, uh, Most notably, he's got a uh, Steven Seagal sequel and a Lindsay Lohan movie on his resume. (laughs) If that kind of tells you the trajectory of his career you know, I think it does. Yeah. Uh, but he's been a day player, uh, for a good long while, a lot of one episode, uh, stints on some things, but he actually did have some longer runs on a few soap operas. Uh, the interesting things, uh, here about this particular episode, the breach, uh, initially the script included that small slip and fall, but McNeil, wanted to uh, give sort of a little uh, homage to romancing the stone. Uh, So they made it into this big, long thing where they slide down all these rocks uh, down to the waterfall Mm -hmm. and all that and uh, dragging them across the floor. Uh, But really all they did was take a bunch of different shots of them sliding and, piece it all together to make it look like one big thing they really only slid for about 15 feet (laughs) Uh, but michelle erica green of trek nation gave the episode a positive review said she doesn't mind the recycled stories as long as there's good material and it's well done and was delighted to see the question of medical ethics revisited again uh as we mentioned at length here today uh jamal uh i'm gonna mess up this name uh epsicon right? Epsicon. Yeah, that's pretty close. E-P-S-I-C-O-K-H-A-N. Epsicon. That's what I'm going with. Jamal X. Now I can't even say it. I've said it once before. All right. Anyway, Jamal of Jammers Reviews gave the episode three out of four uh, and called it a nice hour, a very traditional Star Trek and TV, uh, excuse me, television without a pity gave it a grade of A. And then 2015 Den of Geek in a review, um, cited this along with uh, Dear Doctor, Stigma, and Doctor's Orders uh, as some notable episodes for the development of the character of Doc Flocks. So if you've seen this episode mm-hmm. and you've seen, uh, you know, Dear Doctor and Stigma, highly recommend, you know, rounding it out with Doctor's Orders to kind of give that uh, Grey's Anatomy uh, ER type feel for your Star Trek mewing pleasure. And then we have Cogenitor, which was written by Berman and Braga. The last thing they did was season two, episode 18, The Crossing. And this episode was directed by Mr. LeVar Burton, whose last uh, episode directing was season one, episode 10, Fortunate Son. And we've got some interesting guest stars here. Andreas Katsulas as the Vizian captain, uh he did three episodes of max headroom and one episode of alien nation and then the death of the incredible hulk tv movie which Mm -hmm. i had on dvd at some point i'm not sure where it is now but uh that's a fun slice of the late 80s early 90s for you uh for especially for uh some marvel cinephile fans out there um then he had a small part in hot shots part do i love a good comedy and uh, but then after that he had four appearances as Commander Tomalek on Next Gen, and those were season three, episode seven and episode ten, and then uh, season four, episode eight, and then the series finale, uh, season seven, episode twenty-five. All good things. Uh, you yeah. left out his
1: most important credit. <gasps> what did I miss? What did I miss? You miss Babylon Five. Andreas oh. Katsoulis was Jakar.
0: It wasn't until later though. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Cause we're going to talk about him again.
1: <laughs> well, sorry,
0: but no, that's okay. That's okay. Cause because that, was, that was the first thing I saw. I was like, oh, he's on Babylon five. Perfect.
1: <laughs> because that was, that was
0: one of his greatest roles in my opinion. Nice. I, you know, I Babylon five was one of those things. I remember, I remember it coming on, but. I just never got into it. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of kicking myself. Cause I, I from what, yeah, exactly. Everybody looks at me like that. I'm like, you never watched Babylon five. How well, dare you? <laughs> I will. I will. I will
1: take this moment to quickly segue that J. Michael Straczynski wrote the, one of the greatest sci-fi stories ever written. It was five seasons. Everything in season one pays off by season five. Yeah. It, even though now the CGI looks a little dated, the stories hold up. And it is, if you're going to like science fiction, you've got to watch B five.
0: Nice. I'm really looking forward to it. Cause Babylon five is one of the things that we are going to explore at least the, uh, the initial uh, pilot episode, or I believe it was actually like a TV movie or a mini series. Is that right? Yeah. The, the, the pilot. Yeah. The pilot, I think was like, Two was like two episodes back hours. to back, like a like a TV movie premiere.
1: And there are lots of people. There are lots of Trek crossovers there. Nice, nice. But you know, as you far know. as the series, but as far as the series itself, remember that it was sort of up against DS9. Ah. And if you were picking a space station at the time, Babylon Five kind of won out for me, just because I I like the characters, I like the aliens, I like the way it was written. Yeah, uh, and you know you had peter jurassic as londo and andreas katulis as chakar and the conflict between those two characters was just so good nice so I, i'll get off my soapbox you, no that's
0: okay well you know i since you brought up uh j michael straczynski and uh we mentioned earlier spider-man i don't know yep. if you can see but uh right yep. back here is straczynski's run on spider-man yep <laughs> Uh, anybody who, you know, considers themselves even a halfway decent or halfway interested Marvel fan, do yourself a favor and seek out, uh, J. Michael Straczynski's run on Amazing Spider-Man. It was really fantastic. It was really, really great to read. Um, yeah. And he was involved with a lot of television sci-fi. Uh, I actually, on the other podcast that I'm on, Cinema Shock, where we cover, uh, the history of genre cinema, We are, we are wrapping up our series covering the films of the Wachowskis. And one of the last things um, on the Wachowskis uh, filmography is the show sense eight, which they partnered up with J. Michael Straczynski on. So if you dig uh, Straczynski's plots um, with the heady, sci fi concepts that come out of the Wachowski's brains. Yep. Um, highly recommend Sense 8. And uh, and you can follow uh, Cinema Shock at cinema underscore shock uh, um, and wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so next up on the uh, guest stars of the cogenitor episode, we've got Becky Wallstrom um, who has a bit of a shorter career. Um, She plays uh, Charles, the uh, Vizian co-genitor. She -hmm. was on 44 episodes of Joan of Arcadia as a character named Grace Polk. I'm not familiar with Joan of Arcadia, Uh, but she was also, uh, she played Erica in the movie Brightburn, which we talked uh, some smack about Superman. And I think both of us would probably prefer the, the story of Superman turned out something like Brightburn. Uh, Did you ever see Brightburn? I know. Oh man, it's kind of, you know, what if, what if uh, Superman wasn't a good guy? (laughs) That's kind of the premise of that, of that movie. And it's pretty awesome. They did. They, they knocked that one out of the park. It's really great. And then we've got uh, Larissa Laskin plays Kala, the Vision engineer's wife. Uh, Basically she's a TV day player. She had a couple episodes of Kung Fu. The legend continues. Uh, an episode of The Pretender, which I've mentioned a couple of times before. Uh, Total Recall. I'm a big fan of Philip K. Dick, so I got to throw that one in there. She did an episode of Total Recall 2070. And then she did uh, 12 episodes of Deep in the City. She got held hostage by Denzel Washington and John Q in 2002 and did nine episodes of um, Body and Soul. See, I wrote Bond and Soul, but I think that's not correct. Well, Anyway. This is her only franchise appearance. Um, and then last but not least, we've got Stasa, Stacey Rena as Tristana. I believe that's the one that hooks up with Reed in the, uh, in the crawl space. Yep. <laughs> uh, and this is her only franchise appearance as well. But after this, she, uh, she co-founded uh, Act Now Talent Group, uh, ANTG, a talent management firm out in Los Angeles. So uh, for this episode, in 2012, Tech Republic included the episode on its list of five best episodes of Enterprise, praising it as a fine example of Star Trek at its best, using sci-fi allegories to tackle real ethical quandaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2013, Slate Magazine ranked Cogenitor as one of the 10 best episodes in the franchise. That's... That's high praise. That's really high. That's very high praise. (laughs) Um, 2014, the AV club included the episode in their list of 10 episodes that best represent the show and called it probably the best episode of enterprises. First two years, again, some high praise here in 2016 Vox included it in their list of top 25 essential episodes of all star Trek. I guess if you're spreading it out, and, you know, you need a pivotal episode, you know, from this, uh, from this era, from this show, from this period of time in the narrative, you could do worse than, uh, yeah. than co-genitor for sure. Um, Cause I, I feel like this is Archer as at his most captain-y uh, you know, like he, we see the, you know, heavy as the head that wears the pips. Um, yep. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I gave John Billingsley some, uh, some kudos, uh, you know, for the breach, but I think with this one, we really see Bacula. Um, it's, he's, he's not, uh, he's not uh quantum leap guy anymore. It's kind of like, no, no he's, he's captain of the enterprise. Like he's, he uh, stepped
1: okay. in, he stepped into the captain's, the captain's position. And yeah, I actually had to m- you know do some pretty heavy
0: lifting there yeah absolutely and in 2015 a sci-fi interview with uh Dominic Keating who plays uh Lieutenant Reed uh he he commented that uh he always said the best episode that they did in the entire series was Cogenitor um so uh Lawrence thank you so much for joining us today for this uh lengthy discussion of these two episodes uh what are you do you have any final thoughts about enterprise these two episodes in particular uh your computer resume podcast experience <laughs> well
1: i mean i had a blast man I, i'll it, if we can work it out if you'll if you'll have me back i'll come back and we can, sure. we can do this again about something else
0: oh yeah absolutely and feel free to call dibs i'll have i'd have you back on in a second
1: <laughs> groovy nice uh, it's like we were saying that you know there are there are some dogs in the four seasons sure we'll we'll admit that but then again i have two words for you spock's brain (laughs) yeah (laughs) um absolutely oh what was it Uh, um i can't think of it it's one of the next gen episodes that everybody always um Always dogs on when they talk about bad episodes. Uh, Was it Code Honor? Maybe. Well, anyway,
0: something with Wesley. I'm sure Uh, Wesley gets so much heat. Anyway,
1: (laughs) shut up, Wesley. Uh, (laughs) But but I think that a lot of times there are a lot of fans who want who always bring up you know they bring up the rough spots, but they don't look at you know, the good episodes. They don't look at the cogenitors, you know. Yeah. They don't they don't look at all of those because they've pretty much decided what they've decided. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're absolutely right. And you know,
1: part of the appeal of the series for me was like I'd said before, that there weren't so many rules. And this was these were our humanity's rough first steps out into the bigger, the bigger cosmos. And sure to Paul got gray hair from all the stuff that Archer did, <laughs> but, um, you know, you see it towards the end of the fourth season, the crews jailed together. They're working together, you know, uh, I mean, good God, man, they had Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, sh- you know, Shran. Shran to me is the best Andorian character I think they've ever had in the story. yes
0: yes absolutely <laughs>
1: and you know you can say was it writing was it just Jeffrey Combs but seeing the way that he and Archer interacted and the fact that go ahead and dig on Archer but Archer was the one that got Shran to come around. Yeah he did and once and once Shran came around I think that helped bring the Andorians around mm-hmm. and the fact that Archer was able to do what he did with the Vulcans is it may just be the mythos of the series, but you can't underplay the fact that it was a human who did the things that he did that sort of set the ball in motion to get the big players of the federation together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, his dealings with the Andorians made the Vulcans respect him even more. So they kind of, they, they, those two cards toppled together, you know, uh, those two dominoes were definitely next to each other in line. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing I didn't get, uh, didn't get you to weigh in on that almost everyone else has weighed in on when they've appeared on the show. What do you think of the theme song? Well, it's been boy, that, a long Boy, road. that was a heavy pause. That was a real heavy pause, man. <laughs> uh
1: it's grown on me over the years. I think it's funny that um when they had the Archer shout out on Discovery, they played the end credits. Yes. <laughs> because, you know, I think it would have been too much if we would have seen our Cardassian Bajoran Federation president go. Uh-huh. As she turned her hand to the Archer space dock, it's been a long road getting from there to here.
0: Oh man! <laughs> I, you know what? I'm going to put it on Front Street when 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 she showed the space dock, and that version of that music slowly faded in. I was like, I am not about to cry at this. <laughs> yep, we it was uh, a fun moment. It was a really it great was moment. yeah,
1: and especially the fact that for me the enterprise fan i'm going
0: yeah we got it yes
1: Yes. (laughs) after all this time you talked all that smack about us well by god this is our moment
0: we're important too damn it
1: (laughs) it it might it might be short and only have lasted for 30 seconds but
0: we'll take it we'll take it. it absolutely well hey next week it's the computer resume podcast season two finale we've made it We've lasted much longer than most of our (laughs) podcasts. But we will be joined by actress, voiceover artist, singer-songwriter, Bonnie Gordon for the Controversial Enterprise Season 2, Episode 23, Regeneration. And if the name... Bonnie Gordon sounds slightly familiar to any of you hardcore Trekkers out there. That's because she's the voice of the computer of the USS Protostar on Star Trek Prodigy. So don't miss next week's episode. I mean, think about this, folks. We're going to have a Prodigy cast member talking about Enterprise, an Enterprise episode that's a sequel to a TNG movie. This is going to be a big one and a really fun way to go out and uh, and to close out season two of the computer resume podcast. Um, Regeneration, of course, is available on Hulu, Amazon Prime and Paramount Plus. Lawrence, what do you have going on? Where can people find you on the Internet? What do you what have you uh, got going on work wise that people can follow and support?
1: Well, right now we are drawing nigh to the mid-season finale of fear the walking dead and the season finale or the series finale of the walking dead world beyond that's right so if so if you want to hear me talk about zombies uh, you can you can go to the podcast client of your choice and look for fear the walking dead talk through uh you can also hit the website that's www.talkthroughmedia.com for all the shows that our network's putting out. And that's the ones I was talking about before. We've got walking dead, every variety of star Trek you can think of. And we'd love to have you come by and give us a listen.
0: And where can people bother you on the internet directly?
1: Well, if you want to bother me directly on the internet, <laughs> as much as it, as much as it frightens me to say, I do have a Twitter account. And that's
0: Sec Thirty One Trek, and I am at Mr. Tade Davis on all of the socials. From all of us at the Computer Resumed Podcast, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in ten forty. subspace transmissions to computer resume podcast at gmail.com or at computer resume on facebook twitter and instagram the computer resume podcast was created and produced by mr todd a davis our logo was designed by will martin and justin bishop the opening theme was produced by justin bishop our outro music was provided with permission by drone node additional music was provided by mr todd a davis and gary horn and i'm cat davis at that darn with a k On Instagram, the Computer Resume Podcast is part of the Slice of Fried Gold Network. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. (laughs) We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. (laughs) We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're going to find a brand new race.
1: How's that for a slice of fried gold?